Welcome to Spring Creek Church Online. My name is Pastor Jessica, and I'd like to say Happy New Year, Church. Can you believe that 2022 has totally passed us by? Today, I want to talk to you about making your mark in this world. So as we get started, let's pray. God, we thank you for this day that you have given us. I pray for every single person who's going to watch this, Lord, that, that you may use the word uh, to impact their lives, that you may transform them, Lord, that you may stir up, the, stir up the spirit in their lives, Father, to make changes that you need them to make. Father, we thank you, Lord, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Every new year that passes by causes us to think about the impact that we want to have on the world. We want to do something great and accomplish great goals that will cause us to be remembered. And, and you know, sometimes we don't even care if, if, if we're remembered for having a good reputation or for having a bad one. Maybe we want to go viral or be known as an influencer. We say things like, hey, I want to be a world changer. New me in 2023, a dollar and a dream. Oh no, that's if you want to win the lotto, right? But maybe that is your goal for 2023. And some of us are just looking to make our mark by doing something that makes us famous or successful. Even our city, Garland, Texas, where our church building lives, has a desire to help you make your mark. In fact, it is their mantra to help you make your dreams come by supporting you to continue forward, to live life to the fullest, and to do it in your way, on your terms, in a town that truly supports you. So we all have a desire to make our mark. Then we have those days where we wake up and we just want to do something awesome, make our mark on the world, something that's important and meaningful. I had one of those days years ago. I woke up on a Sunday morning, ate breakfast with my family and said, I want to do something awesome today, like start a school in Guatemala. Well, my kids and my husband just looked at me like I was crazy and they actually started laughing at me. My daughter said, mom, that was so random. So anyway, we forgot about it. We went to church and then it happened. During the announcements, they said that they were looking for people to go on a mission trip. You guessed it, to Guatemala. My whole family almost broke their necks as they stared at me in the middle of the service. We were all shocked. I actually was laughing because I was so shocked. I went to sign up after church because it had to be God wanting me to make my mark, live my best life as a missionary. They convinced me that Richie should go too, and so he signed up as well. I just knew I was going to do something awesome that would change the lives of the people of Guatemala. When we arrived in Guatemala, we traveled hours to get to the mountains where the village was. Then we hiked up a mountain to visit some of the indigenous people where they were waiting for us with a gift. They made and offered me a drink that was made from water and ground up corn that uh, they specifically prepared because they knew that we were coming. Guys, I promise you, I knew I wasn't supposed to drink it. It looked like gray mush, but I didn't want to offend them because they were giving us their best. I had gone to meetings for weeks where they taught us rules uh, to follow when, when being in another country. And they continuously warned us about not eating or drinking anything because it could make us sick. But I couldn't tell this sweet old woman no. So I looked at her and I gulped it down. People, I was living the dream in the mountains, ministering to the indigenous people of Guatemala. And I was making my mark on this world. And then... It happened. My stomach. It happened. 
It was making its mark on me. And minutes later and for the rest of the trip, I promise you, I made my mark on the top of the mountain, on the side of the mountain, and at the bottom of the mountain. I felt like the whole trip, I was like, I was so sick. I spent most of the trip in my room and Richie tried his best to care for me and still make his mark with the people of Guatemala. Sometimes we want to make our mark and we have grandiose expectations of the impact we're going to have. But our decisions, even when we know better, even when we would know that we're not supposed to, even when everyone has warned us, we will ignore all the warnings and do what we want to do anyway. In the Bible, Samson was given the gift of incredible strength to be used for God's glory. And yet so many times we see that Samson's choices are less than ideal. Basically, he's just one of those people that keeps making bad choices. He was a lifelong Nazarite who was set apart and devoted to God from birth. A Nazarite, according to number six, was a man or woman who wanted to make a special vow of dedication to the Lord by following three rules that would show your devotion to God. You must abstain from wine, fermented drinks, grape juice, grapes, raisins, or anything made with these items. Some of you have totally stopped listening to me the moment I said you can't drink wine. You must not cut your hair until the period of the dedication to the Lord was over. And the last one, you must not go near a dead body. And during this period of dedicating themselves to this vow, if they kept these three rules, they were consecrated for the Lord. And that just means separated, set apart to be in God's presence. But Samson was different. His Nazarite calling was unprecedented because before him, there was nobody else mentioned in the Bible who's, who was called by God to be a Nazarite for life. The Bible says that while he was in the womb of his mother, God said his purpose would be to begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines, who was Israel's enemy and a force to be reckoned with. They would overpower the Israelites and enslave them while trying to fight for the territory that God promised to them by God. That's why God gave Samson incredible strength to rescue his people. As long as he didn't cut his hair, he would always have that strength. He reveals that if his head were shaved, he would become as weak as any other man, not because there was strength in his hair, but because it would display his disobedience to the Lord. For anyone else who made a vow to be a Nazarite, when that time was over, they would shave their head and burn their hair and offer burnt offerings to the Lord to demonstrate the end of the vow. Even though Samson had incredible physical strength, he demonstrated great moral weakness. Basically, moral weakness is when you choose not to do the right thing, even though you are fully capable of doing it. Samson knew his purpose, was equipped to fulfill that purpose, was set apart to be holy and consecrated to God, but Samson still chooses not to make his mark God's way. Now, before we judge Samson, I wonder how many of us know God's purpose for our lives. We've been equipped for that purpose and yet we choose not to honor God and instead choose to make our own mark on this world. Samson's life shows us how his moral weakness leads to violating the Nazarite vow, not once, but multiple times. Today, I wanna to talk about three specific occasions. One day as he's traveling, he sees a, Phil a Philistine woman who caught his eye. You know, the same Philistines who take the Israelites as slaves? He tells his parents that he wants to marry her because during that time, the parents had to make arrangements to make that happen. I wish we still did that today. 
His parents immediately objected because marriage was with a non-Israelite was forbidden by Mosaic law. But Samson told his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Samson was being led by his own desires because it pleased him. God is such a graceful God that he will use our bad choices and mistakes for his glory. The Bible says in Judges 14, 4, his parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines, for at the time they were ruling over Israel. You're probably thinking, how could God use Samson's lust for this girl to deliver Israel from its oppression? God will never lead us to sin, but God used Samson's own self-interest to create an opportunity to deliver Israel. God sometimes uses evil actions to accomplish his good purposes. Samson and his parents travel to check out his new bride-to-be, and he's approached by a, a young, roaring lion, and so he kills him by tearing him to pieces. Killing the lion violated the, the Nazarite vow of touching a dead body. And to make matters worse, he doesn't even tell his parents about it and he keeps it a secret. I want you to pay attention to this phrase used in Judges 14.6. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. That's how strong Samson was. A couple of days later, Samson returns to take the Philistine woman as his wife, sees the lion's, the lion's carcass, and he notices that bees had made some honey in it. He scoops up some of the honey and he eats it and brings some to his parents as well. He violates his vow again because he's touching the dead lion, making him unclean. Then he causes his parents to become unclean as well, except that they had no idea that they were unclean because they didn't know that the honey came from a dead body. Anything considered unclean was unfit to be in the presence of God, while anything clean was able to enter God's presence. As his father was making the final arrangements for Samson's wedding, Samson prepared a feast that was going to last seven days. The bride's parents selected 30 young Philistine men to accompany Samson at this feast. When the men arrive, Samson gives them a riddle. And if they can guess the riddle within seven days of the feast, Samson would give them 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if they couldn't guess it, they had to give Samson the 30 linen of garment, garments and 30 changes of clothes. The riddle had to do with what he had done with the lion. He said to them, out of the one who eats came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Towards the end of the week, the men realized they were not going to guess this riddle. They decided to threaten Samson's wife to convince her to entice Samson to give her the answer. If she couldn't get the answer from him, they were going to burn her and her father's house down. She did everything she could to entice him. She cried, she begged for days, and finally, towards the end of the week, Samson told her. She then tells the answer to the riddle to her people. Because remember, she was a Philistine as well. They were their natural enemies. The men went back to Samson and told him the answer to the riddle. They said, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson knew his wife had told the answer. There was no way they would be able to figure that out on their own. I want us to pay attention to the phrase used again in Judges 14, 19, and 20. 
And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he went down to Ashkelon and he struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. After killing the men to pay off his debt, he was furious. So he went back home to live with his father and mother. During the wheat harvest, Samson goes back with a gift to visit his wife, but her father would not allow him to see her. Her father gave, gave her to Samson's best friend to be his wife because he thought Samson hated her after betraying him with the riddle. Samson says something very interesting in Judges 15.3. He says, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. He says this time he'll be innocent as opposed to all the other times where he was not innocent. In retaliation to his father-in-law and the Philistine people, Samson caught 300 foxes. He tied their tails together and stuck a torch in between each pair of their tails. He set fire to the torches and let the foxes go in the fields and set fire to the stacked and standing grain as well as the olive orchards. And what this means is that Samson, by doing this, basically burned down their summer and their winter crops. Basically, he has destroyed their livelihood for a whole year. When the Philistines asked who burned down their crops, they were told that it was Samson who burned down uh, the crops because his father-in-law gave his wife to his best man to marry. The Philistines were so angry that they went to Samson's wife and her father and they burned them to death. Because they killed his, his wife and his father-in-law, Samson vowed, I won't rest until I take my revenge on you. He was so furious that he attacked the Philistines and killed many of them again, violating his vow of staying away from dead bodies. It just seems like choice after choice, Samson just keeps making wrong choices. Then after taking revenge, he went to live in a cave. The Philistines retaliated by setting up camp in Judah, a region of the Israelites. The men of Judah asked the Philistines, why are you attacking us? The Philistines replied, we've come to capture Samson. We've come to pay him back for what he did to us. So 3,000 men of Judah went down to get Samson at the cave. Now, you know, Samson must be strong if they needed 3,000 men to capture one man. Then they said to Samson, don't you realize the Philistines rule over us? What are you doing to us? But Samson replied, I only did to them what they did to me. But the men of Judah told him, we have come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. All right, Samson said, but promise that you won't kill me yourselves. We will only tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines, they said. We won't kill you. So they tied him up with two new ropes and brought him to the Philistines who came shouting to meet him and take him captive. For the third time, I want to point out the phrase used again in Judges 15, 14. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire and his bonds melted off his hands. Then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey. He picked it up and killed 1000 Philistines with it. If you notice that in these three occasions, the Bible says the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, meaning it came upon him quickly and powerfully. This phrase shows up three times in the story of Samson. Some translations of these verses say the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him so that 
giving the impression that the spirit of the Lord empowered Samson to kill and break his vow each time he felt it necessary. But so that is not the original Hebrew and should read the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And why am I pointing this out? Because many people believe that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson so that he could tear apart the young lion, so that he could kill 30 men stealing their possessions and garments, so that he could kill 1,000 Philistines. This specific phrase, the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, is also used in Isaiah 11:2, where he defines what the spirit is doing. He says, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Since there is only one spirit of the Lord, the same spirit in, in Isaiah is the same spirit in Samson's story, who is the same Holy Spirit we know today. Why am I saying this? In these three occasions, the spirit of the Lord who brings wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord rushed upon him to confront Samson about his next choice. And Samson still does what he wants and in each instance kills someone or something and violates God's God-ordained Nazarite vow. The spirit of the Lord will not oppose God. The spirit of the Lord will not enable you to break your vow to the Lord. The spirit of the Lord will not justify our sin, but the spirit of the Lord will rush upon you to confront you when you're ready to do things less than God's best for you. Aren't we thankful for that? Now, I wonder how often we find ourselves about to make a bad decision and that inner voice of reason, the Holy Spirit, rushes upon us and confronts us on what we're about to do. Maybe you're in an argument with someone and that inner voice says, don't say it, don't you dare say it. And guess what? We say it anyway. Or you're about to go into a party with lots of drinking and, and drinking is your weakness. And then we think it's just one drink and the Holy Spirit is screaming inside of us going, no, don't do it. Perhaps you, you, you take your taxes to get done and the tax preparer tells you, hey, I know that there's a way that you could get a bigger refund and all you have to do is lie on your taxes. And the spirit tells you, you better not do that. Or you're about to send an angry text. I mean, come on, somebody who has been there and the spirit of, and the spirit of God says, don't you send that text and you send it anyway. Maybe you're feeling lonely and you call someone you know you shouldn't be calling and the spirit tells you to put the phone down and you call anyway. The Bible says in John 14, 26, but the, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name will teach you all things and bring to, to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The spirit of God is always speaking and guiding us. It's your choice to listen or not. At the end of Samson's life, his failures left him with no physical strength. It left him blind and in bondage by his enemies. You can read all about that in Judges 16. Samson cries out to God to give him incredible strength one more time to destroy his enemies for gouging out his eyes. By his grace, God answers his prayer, and with one swift move, he brings down a temple on himself and killed more Philistines that day than he had ever killed in his entire lifetime. 
Samson makes his mark as a man who rebels against God and breaks God's commands. Some of you might be thinking, Samson was a Nazarite in the Old Testament. How is this even relevant now, right at this moment in my life where I am? Well, we are all modern day Nazarites whose vow is to imitate Jesus. Like Samson, our commitment is not for a season, but it's for a lifetime. Samson was required to abstain from wine or any fermented drink. It focused focused on what he was consuming. God calls us to beware of things we consume that draw us away from him. So here's what I want to ask you. Are you consuming what, what brings life? John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. It also says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Or are you consuming things that bring death to your life? Samson was not supposed to go near a dead body. This focus on remaining clean, acceptable to be in God's holy presence. As people who want to imitate Jesus, Are we staying away from things, people, places that cause a separation between us and God? Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Samson was required to never cut his hair. This focused on a visible identifier of our consecration to God. Our lives should be a visible identifier to all those who don't believe in Jesus that we are truly believers. It should demonstrate our obvious devotion to God. And by our lives, I mean how we honor God with our finances, our speech, how we treat others, our attitude, our work ethic, and integrity. God calls us to honor him in all that we do. The Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 14.2, how to make our mark God's way. It says, for you are a people holy to the, to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Remember how I was going to make my mark on this world by going to the mountains of Guatemala so that I could be the best missionary that has ever lived? Obviously, I'm being facetious. When I got to the mountain, I had all the best intentions. When I was offered the drink, I knew that I wasn't supposed to do it. I, 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 I had been warned about not eating or drinking anything. And the Holy Spirit was yelling at me not to drink the gray mush. Put it down, girl. Put it down. And even in the tiniest of tasks, I was disobedient. Even though my intentions and my heart were right, I still didn't do what God needed me to do at that moment. And because I was disobedient, I didn't get to make my mark the way that God wanted me to make my mark. I didn't get to enjoy the people and the culture and see what God was doing in the individual lives of everyone that participated on that trip. Like Samson, even though I was disobedient and didn't listen to the confrontation of the Holy Spirit trying to stop me, God used my disobedience to accomplish his good purposes. 
If you haven't noticed, I have a big personality with big expressions and a big voice and a loud, contagious laugh. Because of my big personality, I tend to overshadow my husband's even keel personality and lots of times in any situation, it can quickly become the Jessica show. That week, I spent most of the week in my room trying to recuperate from being sick. So my husband, Richie, got to enjoy the rest of the trip without me. He got to enjoy the people, the culture. He got to minister the word of God to children in vacation Bible school. He got to know and build relationships with the people on that mountain. It, it, it was on that mountain that Richie found his passion for missions, for loving and serving others. We both made a mark on that trip. I made a mark because of my disobedience and Richie made a mark because of his obedience. So my question for you is, what mark do you want to make? Are you going to allow the Spirit of God to lead you? Are you going to submit to the counsel and confrontation of the Spirit? Or are you going to do things your way? Are you willing to consecrate and separate yourself for God's purposes with sacrifice and submission to His will? God's plan for me and for you includes an anointing that requires a greater level of separation and sacrifice, living as modern-day Nazarites, imitators of Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day that you have given us, Lord. Father, I pray for every single person that is watching this, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would use them, Father, that you would help them, Lord, evaluate their lives, Lord Jesus. Father God, that you would help them and, and uh, draw closer to you, Father, so that they would have a deeper relationship with you, Father, so that they would be able to make those sacrifices, Father, so that you could use them in great and mighty ways, Lord. We thank you for the grace that even when we make the wrong decision, that you use it for your purposes, Father. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for joining us this week. If you like this message, make sure that you share it with your friends. And also, make sure that you stay connected with us at Spring Creek Church Online on Facebook. Guys, we will see you during the week.